Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Greetings, Westminster Chapel. It's my pleasure and privilege to be able to share something with you this morning to encourage you. And I'll be sharing about Philip, a spirit-filled man who brought joy to a city. I've been involved with Westminster Chapel, more in the background, for the past seven years. You're part of a family of churches called Commission, which came out of a broader family, a worldwide family, called New Frontiers. And we believe in apostolic ministry and mission, working together. And I've worked alongside Guy Miller in serving you as a church. You've gone through leadership transition and we've appointed elders and you've responded so well and you've been so faithful. It's been so encouraging to see the way you are pressing on and making a difference in the challenging context of a city like London. Let's talk a bit more about Philip. When I look at him as a man who brought joy to a city, I'm seeing the potential of any spirit-filled follower of Jesus. When they're bold, when they're willing to share the gospel, it can affect people's lives, affect communities, and it can also affect a city. Now, Philip was not Superman. He needed the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He needed and used the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ, and he needed team support. He was no Superman. I'm reminded of a story of Muhammad Ali, who was also called Cassius Clay. He was the world heavyweight boxing champion in the 1960s and 70s. He called himself the greatest. He was not bashful. He was not lacking confidence. He was on a plane, and all the passengers have been asked to fasten their seatbelt. And a stewardess checks with Muhammad Ali, and he's not fastened his seatbelt. So she asks him to do so. And Muhammad Ali says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which the stewardess replied, Superman don't need no plane. Please fasten your seatbelt. Well, Philip was no Superman, but he was a great and godly man and used by God to change a city, to change it from sorcery to salvation through Jesus Christ, from deception and oppression and occult to joy and liberty. Westminster Chapel is set in one of the greatest cities in the world, if not the greatest. But even this great city needs changing. And it can be affected by the gospel as much as it's been affected by COVID-19. Do you believe that? I do. Let's get some encouragement from Philip. Now, Philip was a companion of Stephen. They were both in a group of seven chosen to serve tables and in doing so to release the apostles to their priorities, which was reading, studying, preaching the word of God and praying. Stephen was outstanding. He was full of the Holy Spirit and power. And through him, there were signs and wonders were done, which attracted the attention of those who were interested, but also those who opposed the gospel of Jesus. And eventually he was brought in to meet with the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. 
And in front of them, he's bold. He explains Jewish history in the light of the coming Messiah. But he also challenges them. He says, you're stiff-necked people, always resisting the Holy Spirit. You have killed Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the Messiah. And we know eventually Stephen is stoned to death. Stephen's message was, God is on the move. And we will now see Philip and actually some other believers on the move too. Stephen's message was also, you can't lock God up into the temple or into Jerusalem. And now Philip is going to demonstrate that by taking the gospel out to Samaria. So let's read together the story of Acts 8. The reading is taken from Acts chapter 8, starting at 1b to 25. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralysed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practised sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptised, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptised, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me this ability also so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered him, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me, 
so that nothing you have said may happen to me. And after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. We've just had read to us the story of Philip as he goes into Samaria and through sharing the gospel makes a wonderful difference to a city there. I want to speak about the greatness of Philip, the greatness of the gospel and the greatness of apostolic teamwork. First of all, the greatness of Philip. He wasn't boastful. He boasted about Jesus. And his greatness is not fundamentally measured by signs and wonders or healings or baptisms. We first hear about him when he is chosen by his fellow believers. He's a man of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And he's asked to carry significant responsibility in the young church, serving others. And that's how greatness comes to us. Well, it's good to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But he also was a servant of others. He was serving the Greek widows. He was doing food deliveries. We know a lot more about that these days through lockdown, don't we? It wasn't so much a public or a platform ministry. When Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, he said, you'll be blessed if you serve others. And Philip was happy to be a servant to the apostles and to the Greek widows. He was serving the Greek widows. They had needs that needed to be met. But he also served the apostles by releasing them to their priority ministries, the preaching of God's word and prayer. He was a spirit-filled imitator of Jesus. And Jesus said this about himself. He said, I haven't come to be served, but to serve others. Also a good thing about Philip, he refused to be a victim. When persecution came, he didn't hide away. When hardship came, like many of his other fellow believers, they weren't intimidated. He wasn't intimidated into silence or passivity. Even though there was an explosion of persecution against followers of Jesus, he didn't go into quarantine. He didn't go into lockdown. I think our society and culture is becoming increasingly affected by what I would call a victim mentality, which can mean, and please excuse my simple and quick summary, I mean, what I mean is people can appeal more to their rights whilst at the same time overlooking or ignoring their responsibilities. When persecution came, Philip and other believers didn't claim a right to peace and prosperity. They gave primary place to their responsibility to be witnesses to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying there are no victims. All types of people can be genuine victims to abuse, persecution, prejudice, tragic circumstances. And I'm not saying we have no rights to being treated fairly and equitably. We have rights to legal redress. But it's so easy for many of us to focus solely on our rights and ignore our responsibilities. Well, not Philip and not this early church. He was a witness to Jesus Christ. He saw that as a privilege, as a responsibility. Also, we notice about Philip, 
he was not defined or restricted by titles or status. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't in the group of 12. He was a deacon serving tables, serving the apostles by serving tables. But now he goes ahead of the apostles into Samaria. He wasn't yet recognized or described as an evangelist. Later on in Acts 21, he would be described as an evangelist. But even when he's not recognized or defined as an evangelist, he does the work of an evangelist. It's good for us to be accountable to others and what they think of us and our strengths and weaknesses, to have other people give input into that. It's also good for us to have a sensible and sober understanding of our strengths and weaknesses. But we must be careful that we're not limited by titles or recognition. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we need to be available. Let's be a witness to Jesus, and maybe that will affect those around us, our community, maybe even a city. Philip also was good in he he recognised the gift and responsibilities of others. He wasn't a loner. He pioneered into new ground in Samaria, but he was also a team player. He'd had great success in preaching the gospel, in signs and wonders. A city was changed. But then he humbly receives the apostles, Peter and John, as they come to check up and follow up on what was happening in this Samaritan city. Philip was not threatened by them. He received their input and their leadership. He wasn't independent, defensive, protective. He wasn't precious about his sphere. He realized he was part of a team. And he seems to have enjoyed the privilege of accountability and also the blessing that other people could bring when they came with their gifts with their responsibilities to enhance the ministry and the mission. We also see of Philip that he was continually obedient. He was obedient to a call to leave that successful context, ministering to a city. When an angel gives him instruction to go to a desert road, to a new context, to minister to one man, he goes. He was good. He was continually obedient. He wasn't stuck in one place. So we see something of the greatness of Philip. He wouldn't have claimed that. But greatness comes through serving. And when we serve one another and serve the Lord, we can be described as great. He was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. He was a servant to others. He refused to become a victim. He wasn't going to be defined or limited by titles or status. He was a team player. He received the input of others, the gifting of others. And he was continually obedient. And he moved on when directed to do so. There's a lot to learn from Philip. And I wonder what speaks encouragement or brings a challenge to you and me. Please let's not see Philip as someone who's so far distant from us. He was spirit-filled and available. And we can be spirit-filled and available. Be willing to be a servant to others and serve the Lord by sharing his goodness and his gospel with others. But when we look at what happened in Samaria, it wasn't the greatness of Philip that made the difference. It was the greatness of the gospel. 
This Samaritan city was a challenging context. First of all, a Jewish messenger would not be easily received by Samaritans. The Jews and the Samaritans didn't like each other. There'd been enmity for years and years and years. And on top of that, this city had been influenced for a long time by the occult of the sorcerer Simon Magus. People in the city of both high and low status were amazed and captivated by Simon Magus. And he himself boasted of his own greatness and divinity. So this whole city is consumed and seduced by occult evil and magic. It was a challenging city context. And Philip, led by the Holy Spirit, arrives into this context, this city, and gains the attention of the city as he boasts not about himself, but he boasts of Jesus Christ. Quite a contrast to Simon Magus. Now, the city wasn't changed by Philip. It was changed by the gospel. The gospel is powerful and effective. It's great. When Philip shares it, when he proclaims it, and when we share it too, even so sometimes we feel we stumble and mumble through our witness to Jesus. Sometimes we don't know the answers to every question that people may put to us. But the gospel has a power of itself. Sometimes I've been amazed how sometimes I've shared the gospel. And I feel that's not gone well. And yet it can produce fruit. Paul says this about the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. And right into the Corinthians, he says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And continuing to write to the Corinthians, he says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Later, he says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And when he writes to the Thessalonians, he says, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. The gospel is good news, but it's also powerful news. It is life-changing news. It is city-changing news. We proclaim Jesus as Savior and Lord. We tell people to look to him, not to look to us. Through the gospel, we bring truth that can confront the lies and deception of Satan and his schemes and can lift people out of their despondency, their hopelessness. The gospel can open blind eyes and it can provoke faith in Jesus Christ. Paul, when writing to the Romans, says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And later in the same chapter, he says, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. God blesses Philip's speaking and doing mission. He preaches the gospel. He demonstrates the kingdom and a city is changed from great oppression to great joy.
salvation comes to many. I want to ask you, do you have faith for your city? Well, some of you might say, Malcolm, I don't even have faith for my own family or my own community. I don't want to overreach. Well, I want to tell you this, you can have faith for your city and you can have faith for your family and your community. And you can have faith in the gospel, in living out the gospel, in sharing the gospel. Don't think that any context is too tough, too resistant for gospel advance. This city was not easy. It had been consumed by occult and sorcery, by evil practices. We can look at our cities, look at London and say, well, it's just consumed with materialism, by hedonism. But actually, the gospel has power to change lives and to change a city. So have confidence, even if you feel you stumble and mumble through gospel sharing or witnessing or just telling people your story, God works with the gospel of Jesus Christ and it will bear fruit. Be encouraged, be spirit-filled, be bold, be loving and gracious as you share the good news about Jesus. Finally, let's look at the greatness of apostolic teamwork. I've been so blessed myself for many, many decades to be part of a family of churches called New Frontiers. Now I'm part of Commission, which is part of that larger New Frontiers family. And in that family, we recognize apostolic gifting. We recognize the gifts of Ephesians 4, 11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and they come to equip and build us to help us to grow into maturity. And they actually release the body into its ministry. It's not all about them. And it's good to understand that we're working as a team. Even though Philip's mission has been successful and he went ahead of the apostles and the city was changed, the, the apostles haven't been involved yet. Even though that's happened, they still have a significant role to play. You can ask the question, is the mission complete in this Samaritan city? And the answer is no. The apostles in Jerusalem hear about what's going on in this city revival, and they send Peter and John to check it out. They're not suspicious. They're not going to find fault, but they want to see and ensure good foundations are placed in the lives of new believers and communities or churches of new believers. So these apostolic checkups and reviews occur right the way throughout the book of Acts. We see it here in Samaria. We see it when Peter goes and speaks to Cornelius, a Gentile man, and his family are saved. There's an accountability. What happened? What's going on? Is this a genuine work? We see it in the Antioch church when Paul and Barnabas go. Barnabas goes and finds evidence of the grace of God there. And then Paul goes to Ephesus and he, he meets some people who've had a baptism of John. And he says, that's not sufficient. You need the baptism in the name of Jesus. And he brings them through a baptism of Jesus in the name of Jesus and also baptism in the Holy Spirit. And then Paul, and he writes and returns with his team to many, many of these new churches, making sure good foundations are in, making sure leadership knows what they should believe, what they should be teaching others. These foundations 
faith in Jesus Christ, in him alone, being baptized in the name of Jesus, a baptism of repentance, of being raised to a new life, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, living under grace, not under law. His eldership, his leadership in place, are people free to play their part in the local church. When Peter and John go, they discover this Samaritan city believers haven't yet been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Philip's ministry has gone well, but it's only gone so far, and it needs apostolic follow-up and ministry. And Philip trusted Peter and John. He trusted their gifting, their responsibility, and their motives. And actually, Philip needed Peter and John to enhance and to substantiate and to make substantial the work that he had started in this Samaritan city. And so did these new believers. They needed the ministry of Peter and John. These people that came from Jerusalem, they came to serve. And these apostles moved these believers beyond water baptism into spirit baptism. They helped them to know the powerful presence and assurance of the Holy Spirit. They knew the powerful presence of God. They knew that they were sons and daughters of the living God. They were released in gifts and ministries that would build up the church when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Their salvation was real. The Holy Spirit had been at work, but they still needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit to bring that assurance and that powerful presence into their lives. Peter and John pray for these Samaritan believers and the Holy Spirit comes on them. Whatever happens is seen by Simon Magus. We're not told what Simon saw exactly, but if we look at Acts 2, we can see then the people apparently appeared drunk. There was something loose and easy and free in their behavior that was different. Maybe people spoke in tongues. Maybe there was people prophesying. Whatever happens, I believe when the Holy Spirit comes in power, it affects people's mouths in praise or prayer or prophecy or, or witness. Anyway, Simon Magus was so impressed. He foolishly wanted to buy this ability to pray for people to go through this experience. He wanted to buy it from Peter and John, and he was rebuked by Peter. But something clearly happens when people are truly baptized in the Holy Spirit. It doesn't happen unconsciously. And we make a mockery of New Testament Christianity and the example of this early church. If we're not thirsty for more of the Holy Spirit, if we're not encouraging people to be filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit today. Philip was spirit-filled. Peter and John were spirit-filled. And now, hallelujah, these new believers are spirit-filled. We're exhorted in Ephesians to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. We're encouraged by Jesus to ask for the Holy Spirit. He says, you have a good heavenly Father who will give the Holy Spirit when you ask for it. And Jesus said to his disciples, wait. They had brilliant teaching about the kingdom, but he said, that's not enough. Wait until you are baptized in the, Holy, in the Spirit. And they did and they were. And that happened on Pentecost and they went out from there with great boldness. 
So Stephen's message to the Sanhedrin was this. You can't lock God up in your box. Hallelujah. We see in this Samaritan city, God is not locked up. Stephen also says, don't resist the Holy Spirit. And these new believers didn't resist the Holy Spirit. Philip's message to these Samaritans was, Jesus Christ is the Savior. Believe in him. They needed to hear that message. It was a life-changing message. Peter and John's message to the same believers was this, there is more than believing in Jesus. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. So as I finish, I hope we're all going to be encouraged by the example of Philip, by his good example, his greatness, because he was a servant. He wasn't a superman. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He served others. He released others through serving people. He wasn't a victim when hardship and persecution came. He wasn't restricted or defined by titles or status. He was led by the Spirit, but he was also humble as he received accountability in the input of the apostles Peter and John, and he continued to be obedient. Philip didn't bring joy to the city. The gospel brought joy to the city. It produced good fruit. Let's try and be servants of the Lord, but let's have confidence in the gospel. The gospel is a great, powerful message. Let's believe it. Let's endure it ourselves. Let's share and proclaim it, even in tough contexts. It's powerful. Be prepared to leave the familiar areas of service, to share the gospel. Don't talk yourself out of being evangelistic. You may not be an evangelist. You may not be able to preach it, but you can tell people your story and point to Jesus. You can pray for others in need. Position yourself for being available. Despite even lockdown, you can be available and useful to God in these days through sharing the goodness and the gospel of Jesus. The gospel is not chained. And you can have a ministry that affects not just your community, but the whole city. Believe it. And don't forget the goodness and the benefits and the greatness of apostolic teamwork. Let's thank God for others who were given to us, part of the grace gifts of God to us. They're differently gifted with different responsibilities. Your gift may be useful, but it may, may only take people so far. We need other gifts, apostolic gifts, teaching gifts, people who can disciple others to come in too. It's so good to be part of an apostolic family. Commission is a great family of churches working together, and you're a significant part of that. And we pray regularly for you as you work in London. We have a vision for London. We have a heart for London, and we want to have compassion for London. And we pray that you, as part of a commissioned church within London, will have that heart and compassion. Compassion. Let's be spirit-filled. Let's be confident in the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have heard the gospel. Someone shared it with us, and it was life-changing. It opened our eyes to your greatness, Lord Jesus. 
You are Saviour and Lord, and we love you. We thank you that people have also taught us more and brought us into the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We want to be Spirit-filled followers. We want to be confident in the gospel, and we want to work together so we can see many, many more people trusting in you, Lord Jesus, and moving on in their discipleship. Keep us, Lord, from timidity. Help us not to be ashamed of the gospel. Help us not to be defined by others or limited by others, but help us in the power of the Holy Spirit, however stumbling we feel we are, let us help, help us, Lord, just to share the good news with others and see lives changed. And we even pray, Lord, that we might see a city changed. I thank you, Lord, for the people at Westminster Chapel. Bless them and encourage them in their lives, in their families, in their homes, in their singleness. Lord, bless them as they reach out for you. And may the gospel produce fruit in their lives and their experience. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.